Well, hello. Welcome to Only Believe Church. I want you guys to know that we are so excited that you're here with us on this beautiful Wednesday evening. Isn't this weather awesome? I am so ready for summer. So why don't you turn to a neighbor and tell them you're awesome and give them a high five. Live streamers, we're so glad that you're with us too. Drop a heart below and let us know that you're watching. Also, if you are a first-time guest, welcome. We are so glad you're here. If you would, there's a card on the back of the pew. If you fill that out and come out and meet us at the Welcome Center, we would love to just meet you and get to know you tonight. So uh, what I have tonight is this coming Sunday is home groups. Who loves home groups? So much fun. And here at Only Believe, we value relationships. So I encourage you, if you haven't gone to a home group, go out to the Welcome Center, check them out, find the one nearest to you. We just get together and we have fellowship and we have a lot of amazing food and it is a great time. This month, most groups are meeting this Sunday, but the Anna group will meet the following Sunday and Lima group is not meeting this month. But feel free to hop on over to another group because home groups is just a great way to get to know your family of faith. Amen. All right, get on your feet with us tonight. It is good to be in his house, amen. All right, Lord Jesus, we welcome you into this place tonight, God. We thank you for each and every person who's here, Father. We thank you, Lord, that your presence is gonna fall in this place, Lord. We also thank you, God, for small groups, that people are gonna find freedom tonight, Father. I thank you, Lord, right now for broken hearts being healed, Father God, freedom being found, Father. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for each and every single thing that's gonna happen into this place tonight, Lord. Lord, as we go into worship, Lord, help us just to fully surrender to you, Lord. Set aside anything that's hindering us from this week, Lord, and just give it all to you because you're so good and you're so faithful. In Jesus' name. And death defeated on the cross You took the pain and place for us. Now fear had lost and love has won. And victory becomes our song. I see the light burst through the darkness. I hear the sound of heaven singing out. Now I scream. chains are gone we praise you and we can't stop singing you're great and you do miracles so we dance we dance we dance in victory we dance we dance in victory we dance we dance Victory 
that could ever come close nothing can compare you're our living hope your presence lord i've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence lord holy spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory god is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Oh, 
generations, a God of covenant, one who cannot lie, Jesus, the one in whom we belong to, Jesus. It's tithing offering time. And you know, I was thinking a little bit about this. We trust in Jesus. My faith is in Jesus, but we can't separate Jesus from the word. They're one. But we know that there may be areas in our faith that we may be a little weak in, you know. Maybe our faith isn't in, as strong in some areas, though we believe it. I believe this word, whether my faith is strong in that area or not, the word of God is true. And so the beautiful thing that I love about Jesus is that if we see any lack in ourselves or if we're weak in an area, we can come to him. His will is that we would be strong in faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So I love that we can come to the one, the author of, and finisher of our faith, and say, God, help me in this area. Strengthen me, God, in this area where I'm a little weak. Amen? And if there's any, I would have to think that if there's any place we're going to be weak in faith, 
at all, this is just me, finances would maybe be one of those places. Why? Because it's near and dear to our heart because we need finances to live, to eat, to pay our bills. But Jesus is faithful and his word is true. We're going to read Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. The world would tell us that we have to hold on to what we have. We have to put it in savings. We have to get stocks and bonds. We have to hold on to it. But Jesus says that the one who gives freely, it is he who gains even more. Jesus gave freely. And we're to be like Jesus. Amen. A generous person will prosper. I'm sorry. Let's go back up to another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. So the one who holds on and hoards is actually the one who's going to come to poverty, God says. So it's completely opposite from what the, what the world would tell us. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I read uh, a statement that said, God blesses the giving hand and so makes it the getting hand. That is so true. Let's pray. If you need a tithe and offering envelope, you can get one in the back of your pew or raise your hand. I'm sure someone can bring one. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. God, that is a light to our path that we can build our lives upon the sure foundation, Lord. We can trust in your word, God, and we're so thankful that we can come to you in our weaknesses or where maybe our faith isn't as strong and we can ask you to help us with that. Even if it means we may have to fast, you see, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And we thank you, Jesus, that you give us all that we need to be victorious, to live this abundant life that you died to give to us. You've given it to us in your word, Lord. And we just thank you, Father, that as we bring our tithes and offerings tonight, God, you are faithful to watch over your word to perform it, God. Thank you, God, for being the author and finisher of our faith. It is you that worketh in us both to will and do for your good pleasure. Your desire is that we be strong in faith, mighty in faith, for your coming back. And you said, will I find faith when I come back? We love you, Lord. We are a blessed people, and we are thankful, Jesus, for you, your sacrifice, your presence, your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. It's, uh, it's good to be out here with you guys. Those of you that are left after the small group people clear out, like, praise God for you. Just give yourself a pat on the back real quick for sticking it out here with me. It's gonna, hopefully going to be good. I'm going to try my best here. I get nervous when David's on the front row. Does anybody else get nervous when David's is on the front row? I'm just, I'm just kidding. I, I plan to have a little fun out here tonight, if that's okay with everybody. Uh, here's, what, here's what my message is titled. Uh, Yay, resurrection! Now what? Now what, right? Easter just happened. We just celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, and Pastor did a beautiful job of explaining the necessity and the importance of resurrection and why it is literally the core to why we are here today. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, this wouldn't be here, right? So we're so excited about the resurrection, but, but here's what I want to do. I want to I put ourselves in the shoes of those same disciples 2,000 years ago who had lived with Jesus for the roughly three and a half years that he was doing ministry. And they were walking this earth with him. You know, hey, come follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. They're out there hearing Jesus say, my purpose here is to rescue the lost. That's what I'm here to do, to bring healing, to announce the good news. And you guys are going to do this with me. The 12 who get appointed as apostles, like you're going to be my special messengers and witnesses. I'm going to send you out. You're going to do amazing things. You're going out and doing all these miracles. And, and they get to the point where this Messiah who they've been following for three and a half years is dead. And you're just like, well, that was a fun ride. And for some reason, even though Jesus had told them multiple times, like, hey, just giving you a heads up, I'm going to die. It's going to be brutal. I'm going to suffer. It's going to happen. But I'm going to rise from the dead. And for some reason, they didn't get the last part of the message, you know. And so we learn that they kind of are doing whatever they're doing. But then Jesus shows back up. He's alive again. The resurrection is taking place. And this is wonderful news, especially for those who were faithful and loyal and followed him all the way up until the crucifixion, who never stopped believing in him. And now they're at a place where he's dead, he's buried. We saw it happen. What do we do now? Oh, wait a minute. He's back. He's back. This is crazy. What do we do? Because that's the logical question, right? When he dies and then he shows up again, the logical question, what what are we supposed to do now? Because when you were here with us, this is what we were doing. We were going out and changing the world. What are we supposed to do now? A friend of mine, several, and when I say several now, I'm getting old enough that it, I actually mean like, you know, more than a decade ago, uh, we went on vacation to Tennessee, and where we went in Tennessee, uh, there was a giant state park, like a big one, not like Tawawa, like an actual big state park, and it circled a lake, and and we went out there, and we were like, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to go hiking, because they had some trails, again, not like Tawawa trails, where it's like, you know, concrete or asphalt, it was like actual trails, and they had trail markers and all that kind of stuff, which was wonderful, so we picked a trail, and we're hiking it, and as we're going along our trail, um, we encountered some other people who were like, hey, did you know that if, if you go up just a little bit further, because we were younger dudes, you know, I think they thought we'd find this interesting. Did you know if you go up a little bit further and you get off the trail, you're going to see this tiny little path. And it did. It became like this little bitty path. And they're like, but if you follow that far enough, you'll get to this, this uh, rope swing that goes out over the lake. And you can go there and you can just swing and just have a blast. And, of course, we're like, let's do it, you know. 
So we get off our trail and we go down this path and sure enough, we eventually find the rope swing and we had a blast and we're doing all this stuff and it was wonderful. The problem came when we tried to get back to our original trail. Now, you know, we have some people on staff that are avid outdoorsmen, you know, like Pastor Kylan from our big outdoorsy guy. He would not have struggled finding his way back out. But me and my buddy, we were having issues. And see, where we were at in Tennessee, there are are dangerous animals that will try to eat you, you know. And uh, in fact, if, if I remember correctly, the actual name of the park, I think, was Panther State Park. You know what I'm saying? Like, Panther, they'll eat you. And we, we got back to what we thought was our trail, and it's starting to get dark. We're wandering around, I, I believe, for about two hours, completely disoriented. And if you've ever just gone walking in a big enough woods, and you, you know, have found yourself in that spot where you're like, where am I? Uh, it's kind of alarming. And so as we're trying to get back to the trail and get going the right direction on the trail and the sun's starting to set and we don't have any cell phone reception because we're out in the middle of nowhere, a little bit of panic started to set in. But we were saved when we finally came across some trail markers. Right? And with those trail markers, we were able to reorient ourselves. We got distracted by the promise of a rope swing into a lake But we got reoriented when we found the proper marker and we were like, ah, the blue marker, that's the trail we were. And we were able to successfully find our way out before being eaten by a bear. All because we got distracted a little bit. In my walk with Jesus, I've hit points in my life, in my journey with Jesus, where I lost my path. Where I got disoriented a little bit. Maybe it was because of something fun. Maybe it was because of a tragedy. Maybe because of a trial. Maybe, maybe it was because of a sin issue. Maybe there's a lot of different reasons why I could lose my path or get disoriented in my journey with Jesus. Sometimes I just got to the place where I feel stuck. Like when you're walking through the woods and you're not marking where you're going or, or, or you know, tying a string to follow back and you just get disoriented as the light changes. We get, we get lost sometimes, we get stuck. My guess is that some of you here tonight or some of you watching on live stream, maybe you're in that spot right now. We're like, you have faith in Jesus, and you believe in Jesus, and you want to live for Jesus, but you've gotten to this place where you're stuck. Maybe you're disoriented because maybe sin did creep up. Maybe you're disoriented because of a tragedy or because of a trial or, or some form of suffering that went on. Maybe you just lost steam, you know. You were very zealous for the Lord, and you just got tired. Well, Jesus gives us a path to follow, but he's good enough to give us these these trail markers to know that we're going the right direction with him. And so as I think about those disciples and I think about my own life in those times when I've hit these spots where I just felt disoriented in my faith and I didn't know what to do next, I'm reminded of what Jesus tells the disciples upon his resurrection and how he gives such clarity so that we can know with confidence that we're actually walking the path consistently. And he gives us these markers to know that when we do feel like we've gotten stuck or disoriented or lost our way or got distracted and we found, he gives us these trail markers so that we can know that we can get back on track. 
And it's actually really simple. Like following Jesus is not hard. And so I put myself in the shoes of those disciples and I go, wow, it's great that you're back. You remember what we were doing before you died? How are we supposed to do that now? Because that's what we were doing. And Jesus is like, yeah, let me tell you. So we're going to go into Matthew 28. And we're going to read about the resurrection of Jesus that we just celebrated. And then we're going to see how Jesus brings all his disciples, all his followers in. And he says, here's the path. Keep walking in it. All right? You guys ready for that? All right. Praise God. Two of you are ready. I love it. All right. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, I'm reading from the NIV. If, if yours looks different, that's why. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. And tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. It says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. So an angel showed up to the women. I just want to show you women something here real quick. I just want to encourage you. The angel showed up and then the boss shows up. Jesus, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I don't really understand the significance of this. I'm going to be really honest with you. But I do find it really interesting that an angel of the Lord shows up and says, hey, Jesus is risen. Go and tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. Those are the instructions. That seems really clear. And as they're going, Jesus himself shows up and gives the exact same instructions. Maybe the significance, maybe what Jesus, because you remember in this culture, women were not considered equal to men. I don't know if you knew that. Women and then children were like way down. But yet Jesus, the first, the first people that the resurrected Savior shows up to are the women. The, the first. It wasn't to the twelve. It wasn't to the three that saw the, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in his glory. It wasn't to them that he showed up. For. It was to the women. Women, can I just tell you, Jesus loves showing up first in your life. Like it just, he'd just do it. You, you're looking at a problem. I'm just going to encourage you. For, you're looking at a problem. You're like, why can't he see this? And Jesus is like, don't worry. He shows up to you first and is like, I'm going to solve it. Don't worry. And then later he shows up to the man and is like, come on, get with the picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just think there's some wisdom there that you women can grab a hold of and some joy that you can grab a hold of that Jesus will show up and meet with you before he deals with the problem with the men. I just, we'll leave it at that. Maybe there's some wisdom there for the men to go. When the women show up and say, hey, the Lord spoke to me, maybe we're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, he's got a habit of showing up to the women first. And I'm just throwing that out there. 
I'm preaching to myself right there. Yeah, that's all I'm doing. We're going to skip down to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I want to point out the four trail markers that Jesus gives every one of his followers to know that we're heading the right direction with him. And the good news is this. It doesn't matter if you gave your life to Jesus today, if you gave your life to Jesus on Easter Sunday, or if you gave your life to Jesus 50 years ago. This is the map. These are the markers that we can consistently see and know that we're heading in the right direction with Jesus regardless of how long we've been following him. And I'm going to show you how. But I want to point out a couple of things. Jesus starts off this by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go. We're not going out powerless. We're going out empowered with the authority of Christ. He says, go to all nations. Why? Because we have the right to do so. Like, there's no power on earth that can stand against what Jesus is doing in the world. He's risen now. He reigns over all the cosmos. He is the boss. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. He says, the authority is mine, and I'm telling you, get out there. I think that's really powerful. I want to point out to you as well that Jesus didn't tell us we have the authority to go out. Jesus let us know that as we go out, he'll be with us every step of the way because he'll never leave us. He'll stay with us all the way to the very end of the age. So we have the authority to do so, and it's like taking literally the boss with you everywhere you go because he's backing his word up. We have to remember that. As we listen to what is known as the Great Commission, the great work that we're still walking in and doing, we're going in the authority of Jesus and we're going with Jesus. We have to hold on to that. We have to remember that he is actually with us. That when we go into the dark places to rescue those trapped in darkness, that we go with the authority to actually rescue them because Jesus said we could. And he's going with us to make sure that it happens. We have a hope that we can bring to the world. And we're not bringing it because there's anything special in us. We're bringing it because the one who gave his life for the world said we could. And he said he'd be with us when we do it. So we can have complete confidence as we go out and do the work that he tells us to do. Amen. This is what resurrection life is all about. What now? Jesus rose from the dead. What now? What does life look like for us now, Jesus? He says this, go make disciples. I'm going to show you the four trail markers to know that you're moving in the right direction with Jesus is this. The first one is faith. When you go to enter the path, it's faith. And I'm going to spend a few moments on all of these, and I'm going to wrap the message up for us. But faith, what is faith? I want to give you faith in its simplest way of understanding it. 
Because to make disciples means we're proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ so that people are in a position to put their faith in him. Right? Doesn't the scripture say, how can they hear unless someone goes to them? So he sends us out with the message proclaiming the truth of his gospel so that people have an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus. That's how they become disciples. Faith means this in its simplest way of understanding. It means trust and belief with actions that accompany that belief. Here's, here's why. What you really believe you'll live by. And I want to help you understand this, all right? I want to show you the difference between just trusting and believing and actually having faith. If I stood up here right now and I said, if you don't have groceries at your house, if you will come and ask me, I will buy you groceries tonight. I will make sure that you have them. You could trust what I'm saying. You might sit there and go, I trust him. I think that he's being honest with me. You could believe what I'm saying. You could go, I believe that if I walk up there and tell him I don't have groceries, he will actually buy me groceries. That would be lovely. But it becomes faith the moment you get up and actually come down and ask for it. Why? Because you're moving according to what you believe. Faith, faith, true faith. This is what separates faith from just belief. True faith is moving in the direction of what you claim to believe. Now, for clarity, and I just want to be very clear here. We are saved by grace through faith. The action step for salvation is this. Jesus said that he died for my sins. And he said that if I will believe in him, if I will believe the good news that he died for me, that if I'll put my faith in him and if I'll surrender my life to him, he'll save me. And the faith step, what makes it go from trust and belief into faith is when I actually say, Jesus, come save me. I'm not doing any work. He did all the work for that, so I'm not doing any work. But the action step, me needing Jesus where he at, is when I finally say, I need that in my life. Jesus, forgive me and save me. Right? Faith is. But faith looks different in different circumstances. If you would turn to James chapter 2, this is what James is talking about. In his letter to the believers, in James 2, starting in verse 14, James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds or there's no action accompanying it? He says, Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. And someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Why? Because we move in the direction of what we really believe. And then he says this one-liner that we've all heard, and we love it. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder right? What's he saying? Yeah, you can trust and believe in God all you want to. The demons do that much, but they don't have any action towards that, right? They're incapable of living in the direction of what God is doing. They've rebelled. They've turned. James is like, don't be like the demons, bro. The demons believe. They trust that it's real. They know the reality of it. No, you got to move towards it. Move towards what you claim to believe. Faith is the first trail marker to let us know that we're moving in the right direction. And Jesus sends his disciples out to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus so that people can come to the place of putting their faith in him. That's step one. 
Do you have faith in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you can be forgiven of your sins and made right with God and become a new creation? If you have that, you've entered the path of following Jesus. What's the next marker to help us know that we're going the right direction in our faith? It's baptism. If we look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20 again, Jesus said, I'm going to read it again to you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Faith is our first step. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, we at the church, we have this prayer. We, we pray that we want everyone in our church to know God. That's finding faith, right? Know God. We want you to know God. We want you to find freedom. We want you to discover your purpose, and we want you to make a difference. We see this in these four steps. Baptism is a way of finding freedom. Now, you might be wondering, well, what's the big deal about baptism? I'm going to start off with the great commission that when Jesus rose from the dead and told his boys how they were going to get back to work, he started with, hey, go preach faith so that they can put their faith in me. Like, go preach the gospel. They'll put their faith in me. And once they do that, baptize them, babies. Baptize them. Why? Why is baptism so important? I got some ideas about that. I want to share them with you. In Romans chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. I'm going to show you this, and I'm going to take you all the way to the Exodus when Israel is rescued by God. And I want to show you something. In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, Paul's writing to the church there in Rome, and he says this. What, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because there was an argument that God's glory, God is glorified in the fact that he just, in his grace, he forgives sins, right? And it's part of God's glory that he doesn't, he doesn't require us to do anything for forgiveness. All we have to do is just believe in his son. we got to confess in his son and our need for his son. And then we can find forgiveness. It's a free gift, right? We don't have to earn it. And so the argument is, well, God is glorified in that. So maybe we should just keep on sinning and God will get more and more glory because he'll just keep forgiving, and Paul's like, you know, like he's just a bunch of knuckleheads. What are you talking about? He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now look at what he says here. I love it. He says, or don't you know, almost like duh, duh, people. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Whoa, 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 whoa. What is Paul trying to tell us right now? That when I was baptized, I was baptized into Jesus' death? What does that mean? He goes on to say this in verse 4. We were therefore buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. John the Baptist, the original baptizer, he taught us that baptism was about forgiveness. It's an, act of, it's an act of repentance because we've confessed our sins. Repentance is changing your thoughts, your attitude, your actions to align with the new truth that you found. And he said that baptism was an act of repentance that goes along with our confession of need for forgiveness, right? But Paul takes it a step further, and Paul says, no, when you're baptized, you're participating with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And we know that. We understand the symbolism of that. 
But Paul wants it to be more than just a symbolism. He wants us to understand that in some way, we are actually joining Jesus in what Jesus accomplished for us. There is something sacred and beautiful about baptism. He says, and and for us, we know, and this is where we find freedom. He says, we know that when we were baptized with him, we died to sin. And just as Jesus Christ was raised to life, we are in new life in him. We're finding freedom. There's something about baptism that brings freedom into our life. Let me explain it to you like this. Israel, when they were in bondage in Egypt, the Lord shows up with powerful displays to bring freedom for his people. And I would make the argument that they had actually, like, they'd been saved the moment they left Egypt. Like, they were no longer in bondage. They were set free, right? They're going. And then they come up to the Red Sea. And they get stuck. And Egypt's coming with all of its armies. And God splits the Red Sea and they walk through the waters. And when it got to the other side of the water, what did that represent? Egypt's behind you. And it can't get to you anymore. Like everyone, that, all of Egypt that tried to pursue you through the water got crushed by the water. Are you, are you tracking with me right now? When we got baptized into Christ Jesus, all of that sin, all of that shame, all of that guilt, all of that pain, all of the regret, it went into the water and it might have tried desperately to come back up out of the water with you, but Jesus Christ paid the penalty for it. And when you went into that water, baby, you came out of it and all that sin, all that shame, it's washed. You've entered into a new life with Jesus. Egypt is gone. You're something new. You're finding freedom. You're finding new life. And Jesus wanted us to know that step two in following him. Don't neglect baptism. If you're here today and you've never been baptized, I'm telling you, it's important. It's powerful. It's sacred. It doesn't save you, but it is part of what Jesus wants you to experience in your new life with him. And if you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. Honor Jesus. Participate with him. It's a beautiful act. And it's a public declaration that I have died, that who I once was is buried in that water with Jesus. And I'm coming up new in Christ. Don't neglect baptism. It is important. If you'd like to get baptized, David's going to be right down here at the end of service. He'd love for you to come and let him know, and we'll get you set up. We'll baptize him. David will baptize you in the pond tonight. I'm kidding. You guys, is this all right? You guys with me? All right. Next thing that Jesus said in Matthew 28. He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is what we call discipleship. The word disciple, I know it's a weird word. We use it in church a lot, but outside of church, I can't say that I've ever heard this word ever used outside of like a church-type function. But the word disciple quite literally meant this, to follow behind someone. And the idea being, like the understanding of the people in their culture being, uh, David is a much better maintenance man than I am. David knows some stuff. And if I want to become a better maintenance man, I would become a disciple to David and I would watch him how he's doing stuff and I'd learn from him because I don't know what I'm doing. 
And the idea is that we become disciples to Jesus because when we're confronted with the truth of Jesus, all of us should take a big old piece of humble pie and go, we don't really know how to do life. Like the way we thought life was supposed to be lived, we just found out from Jesus, we was messing it up. Not just for me, I was messing it up for you too. Like I was making life difficult for you and I didn't even know it. And Jesus shows up and says, there's a new way to do this thing. We're going to turn the world upside down. And that's exactly what the believers did is they followed Jesus. But you read into Acts and you're going to find out the people are like, they're turning the world upside down. This is crazy what these Christians are out here doing. Because they were disciples of Jesus. They were following Jesus. I want to read this scripture to you. In Luke 9, 23 through 26, Jesus is talking. He says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Discipleship looks a lot like carrying a cross. And I want you guys to grab a hold of this. David helped me out and, and grabbed me this beautiful piece of lumber. And I want to remind you of something that was part of Jesus' story, of his crucifixion, of his carrying his cross. In, in Jesus' time, crucifixion was not a rare thing. You've got to understand this. Crucifixions happened all the time. When Jesus told the, the followers, those who were listening to him, hey, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me and learn from me what life is all about, how to live it, how to be right with God, how to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, how to be righteous, how to be in God's kingdom, if you want to do it, it's going to look a whole lot like picking up a cross. And see, when Jesus picked up his cross, if you'll remember, he was carrying the cross beam of the cross and he had to walk it through the town. And everyone who looked at Jesus carrying that crossbeam knew exactly what he was or what they thought he was. What's significant about Jesus isn't the fact that he carried the cross, it's why he carried the cross. If they'd have seen the thief on the right and the thief on the left carrying their cross, they could have correctly assumed that they were carrying that death stick because they deserved it. When they looked at Jesus carrying that, that beam of wood across his back after being beaten and flogged and whipped and ripped apart, they would have seen a dead man walking. They would have looked at him and known that man is a dead man. That man did something terrible, and that's why he's being crucified. But he didn't do anything terrible. All he did was love people too much. God showed up amongst us, and we decided to kill him. And Jesus tells the followers, if you want to be my disciple, if you, and here's the beautiful part. He says, hey, you can try with all your might to find the life that you really want, to find that thing that you're longing for deep in your soul. You can try with everything you are to pursue it. You can look for it a million different ways, and you can gain everything this world has to offer, and it's not going to satisfy you. The trick is to die to yourself. But if you'll give up your life for me and for the gospel, you'll find everything you ever wanted. And there's this weird paradox because Jesus tells them to find the life they really want, they got to pick up an instrument of death and carry it around. So everyone who looks at them can go, they're dying. What a strange thing. So imagine what, what kind of reactions do you think I would get if I walked around town tomorrow carrying this on my back. 
One thing I can tell you for sure is nobody looking at me thinking, that boy's about to get crucified. Because we don't do that anymore. They might think that boy looks dumb, stupid, a lot of other things. So we've lost the purpose of it. What Jesus is trying to say that when you're really living for him to other people, it will look like you've died to what you want. Why are Christians the ones that are willing to sacrifice everything to help somebody else in need? Because we follow the Savior who carried his cross through the town and everybody looked at and knew he was dying. They just didn't know why. But we know why. We didn't die. He didn't die for himself. He died for me. And he says that if I want to find what real life is, that richly satisfying, that satisfies my soul, that leaves me wanting for nothing, the only way I'm going to find it is if I match my Savior and I live amongst the crowds like I've died to everything I ever wanted and I'm living for everyone else. And now you know why it takes faith to follow Jesus. Because who wants to sign up for that? Jesus says some radical stuff. Hey, don't turn away anyone that asks of you. Jesus, how am I supposed to do that? Trust me. I'll meet every need you got. Okay. Tim, I want you to love your enemies. In fact, the moment you start to think somebody's your enemy, go make them your friend. Okay, how are you going to do that if you're carrying a cross? But if you ain't carrying your cross, <laughs> you're going to see that enemy and go, mm, nope. We'll be just like <laughs> the Pharisee, right, and, 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 and the priest and the Levite and the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're walking by and we're like, ain't no way, I got God things to do. And Jesus is like, you bunch of dummies. You remember that they were asking Jesus. They wanted to justify themselves. Jesus, who is my neighbor exactly? Looking to justify themselves. Can I share something with you? Anytime we try to justify why we don't have to be a good neighbor to somebody, we're actually following Satan. Now you know why it takes faith to follow Jesus. But there's life here. I want to find that life. I want to find it. I believe what Jesus says. Because Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What is the joy that I can see in picking up my cross every day? I wonder how many lives can be changed through me if I would actually do what Jesus told me to. If I would die to what I want. Jesus, if I really give this, how am I going to provide for my family? I told you I'll take care of you. Okay, Jesus. You, you, it's, it takes faith, but I'm telling you, church, Jesus gave us a roadmap. And in our walk with him, if you feel disoriented, if you're not sure you're moving in the right direction, the best way to figure it out is if you know you got faith and you know you've been baptized, you need to stop and look. How am I actually doing it following Jesus? Because when I'm following Jesus, my life is going to look like his. And you're not going to be like Jesus overnight, church. 
Can I just help you? It's not an overnight thing. It's over a lifetime thing. I mean, he had the disciples with him, and at one point he's just like, my goodness, how long must I suffer to be with you guys? Because it took them a minute. And we, the Bible's so good because it's so real. We even see into the New Testament letters, they're still figuring this stuff out. Paul has to go confront Peter and just be like, dude, you're missing the boat, man. Why? Because they're still figuring out. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing his work in us. But Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Church, I submit to you that not a single one of us will ever master everything that Jesus taught us in this lifetime. Which means we always can know we're moving in the right direction with Jesus if we can always see how we're growing to become more like him in our lives. The moment you can't tell you're growing in him, you need to reevaluate if you're actually following his teachings. This is the roadmap to keep us going. The final step. That Jesus says we can know we're following him if we're doing this is by serving. It's by serving. It's by making a difference. Now, if you pay attention to Matthew 28, 19, or 18 through 20, you're going to notice nowhere in there does Jesus say, hey, after you've done all these things, tell him to go serve people. How do I know that serving's the fourth step? Because if you've obeyed everything that Jesus has taught, then you know that Jesus, after he raised from the dead, told us, hey, don't stop doing the work. I told you at the beginning I was going to send you out to fish for men. I never intended on stopping that. Get out there and fish for men. And so you get to the place where you read the Great Commission, you go, I'm supposed to be doing this. Now, I want to encourage you for a minute, and I want to help everybody understand something. When Jesus spoke this to those disciples, we can sometimes feel this pressure like, Every one of us is supposed to go into the whole world and preach the gospel to every living creature. How in the world is that supposed to happen? Let's all just breathe for a moment and realize that if you read into the book of Acts, you will find out some of those boys did go out of town and some of them stayed right there. Because Jesus was speaking collectively to his church. Not just to every individual. Every individual's got no. They went throughout the New Testament and planted churches in all sorts of different cities. Guess what? Some of the people were meant to stay in those cities and be the Great Commission folk in those cities to keep reaching people. Here's the point. Every one of us who has committed our lives to Jesus and received this free gift of salvation through putting our faith in him, we've been baptized, we've been discipled, we're learning from him, we're following him. We learn that we're supposed to participate in the work that he's doing. And every one of us has a responsibility to do it. Your responsibility is not the same as mine. But you have a responsibility to it. Wherever your workplace is, you have a responsibility to carry the hope of Christ with you there. And you're going in the authority of Jesus and with Jesus behind you, taking you through the whole thing, giving you his power and his grace to do it. But you're supposed to be involved in it. We got ways that we do that here at the church. We call them dream teams. Why? Because the Bible is very clear. We're not just supposed to go out and serve the world, but we're supposed to serve the brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to be there for each, each, each other. Why? Because each one of us has different gifts that God has given us, and we need each other's gifts to be able to grow and mature into the thing that God wants us to become. And so you need to be serving in your local body, and you also need to be serving out amongst the people who are far from Christ. This is what Jesus teaches us to do. Where are you at in your journey with Jesus? Do you know God? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Are you following him? If not, tonight could be your night to say yes to Jesus 
Because he loves you and he wants you to find a richly satisfying life in him. And it's paradoxical and it doesn't make sense because it looks a lot like dying to get there. But Jesus promises us that what we give up, we're going to find so much better with him. And I believe him and I trust him. So my faith moves me in that direction. Where are you at in your journey with Jesus? If you've put your faith in Jesus, have you been baptized? If you haven't, it's very possible that you might feel stuck or disoriented in your walk with Jesus because you haven't been obedient to that second thing that Jesus wants all people to experience. If you've put your faith in him and you've been baptized and you still feel disoriented, it might be that you've lost your way in discipleship, that you're not really following him anymore. Maybe you got distracted by the rope swinging out into the lake and you need to get back on track. And if you're being discipled but you're not serving, you're stopping short of the fullness of what Jesus wants to do in you and through you. And you need to get involved in it. Can I tell you something that I love about Jesus and what I love about what the scriptures teach us about what it means to be Christians? Is that oftentimes people have a mentality that following Jesus is about saying no to a whole bunch of stuff. Like just, nope. Can't do that. Nope, nope, nope. But what I see in scripture is Jesus actually teaching us how to say yes to all the right things. And there's a massive difference between living your life thinking you have to say no to a bunch of stuff and living your life saying, I get to chase after all these good things. I want to share just a couple of scriptures with you and then I'm going to, I'm going to close up. By the way, I want you all to know, you know this scripture, I'm sure you do. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. I want you to know that there is a purpose for you being here. There's a purpose that you're in this church. And when you will rise up and start walking in what God has gifted you to do and prepared a way for you to do, you will start to find life in that. I'm telling you, you will. The Bible says he who refreshes others will be refreshed. When you get up and you start doing what God puts you on this earth to do, which is primarily be loved by him and return that love back to him, and then get to work. Like get to participate in what God is doing. When you start seeing lives getting transformed because you're participating in the great commission, that'll change you. You got to do it. In Matthew 5.33, I just want to point this out to you and then I'm going to close up. Is everybody all right? In Matthew, I wrote down the wrong verse. Hold on, 633. There we go. My bad. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I want to point out that Jesus didn't say, avoid all of these things and then all these things. No, he said, seek this. Get up there and go. We were made to pursue things. Like it's just part of it is in our DNA that there's a longing in us to go after something. And the Bible and God loves us so much. He's like, here's what you were created for. Pursue this. Don't worry about what you can't get. Just find the joy in all that you can get. Get out there and chase it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 24 down through the end of the chapter, Paul writing to the church, to the believers, to us, to you and to me. He says this, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Like, I don't know, when I was a teenager, this verse just lit a fire in me. Because we all know everybody that follows Jesus wins the prize. Like we, like, we know that, right? Like, if, you're, if you have faith in Jesus, you're going to get there. And Paul's like, hey, 
Run like only one of you can. Like get out there and just go chase everything you can chase in Jesus. Get out there and go do it. And he's like, it takes discipline. But he says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. Why? Not because he's saying no to a bunch of stuff, but because he's trying to say yes to everything that God offers him. He's like, man, I'm going to get in shape so that I can get all that God's got. Not because I want to say no to a bunch of stuff, because I want to say yes to absolutely everything that Jesus says he wants for me. That's something I can get passionate about. Man, if all I ever did was live my life going, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, no, duh, you're going to get pretty bored living for Jesus. Parents, I'm going to help you for a second. If you got kids, I'm going to just help you for a second. Teenagers, you just listen up. I'm going to talk to your parents, but you listen to this. Parents, I really mean this with all my heart. If you just breed into your children all the stuff they can't do as Christians, you're going to kill their faith. But if you rise up and you say, let me tell you all the good stuff Jesus has in store for you that's going to give you life instead of take your life. Let me just tell you all the good stuff, the joy, the peace. Like, your kids need peace. Like, they need it desperately. They need joy desperately. And God has it for them. They just got to know they can get it. They just got to be constantly reminded. Like, yeah, don't go have sex. I get it. But man, there's something better for you over here with Jesus if you'll pursue it. Do more of reminding them of the good things that Jesus has in store for them and less telling them what they can't do because they're following Jesus. Because when they start finding the life that Jesus has for them and they start finding that joy and they start finding that peace and they're looking at all their friends going, I don't want what they got going on. These people are messed up. They're going to know they found something good. Jesus... Can, can you hear the words of your Savior? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I mean, Jesus, don't, don't misunderstand. Jesus definitely said, hey, go and sin no more. I'm not saying that he didn't say that. What I am saying is that Jesus was major on the good news. And I think he did it on purpose because I think Jesus understood that all we're really trying to do is find life and joy and peace. Because that's what God's kingdom is all about. And in our hearts and in our souls, we know that's what we're longing for. And if we can just remind our kids, hey, joy is found over here. It's not found there. And when they go try it, they go, I don't really feel any joy. Yeah, I, I tried to tell you, joy's found over here. Come over here where Jesus is. You want peace? You're not going to find it over here. And then when they go and they make their mistakes, and they will and they find out there's no peace there, they're going to remember that you told them where peace could be found. You see what I'm saying? Give them something to pursue, not just something to flee from. I'm going to use Paul again. This is my last scripture, and I, I think this sums it up well. In his, in his exhortation to Timothy, his young protege, his, his pastor that he put in charge of the church of Ephesus, I believe, if memory serves me correctly, where am I at in my Bible? I'm like blanking here. My favorite book too because it's got my name in it. In 1 Timothy, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, I want you to just hear what he says. He says, flee the evil desires of youth. But he doesn't stop there. I think too often we stop there. We stop there in our own lives and we stop there with everyone else. Just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. But look what he says. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue Righteousness, 
faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Christianity, church, is not just something where we have a list of things to avoid. Christianity offers us the best thing that we could ever pursue with our lives. That's the message we share. That yeah, there's evil and yeah, there's wickedness, but there's hope, man. And there's joy when we learn to just stay on the path. I got faith in Jesus. I got real faith, not just trust and belief, but I got a belief that moves me to action, that moves me towards what Jesus says, where I'm participating in it. I've been baptized because I know it's important, and it's a participation in the work of Christ on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a way that I find freedom from Egypt. I'm becoming something new in Christ Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm learning from Jesus how I'm supposed to live life because I found out I didn't have a clue how to do it before Jesus showed up. And as I learn and I become more and more like him, I start to do the work that he's doing in the world because I see how good it is. Jesus is doing good work. And because God loves us and we're his children, we're not his tools, we're his children, He invites us into this great work with him. We're not his vacuum cleaners or his hammers. We're his children who get to come alongside him and do the great work of redeeming a lost world for his glory. And Jesus sends us out in his authority to do so. You have the authority of Jesus on you to walk out this life of following Jesus. It's on you and Jesus is with you for you to do it in yourself and then for you to go out and start duplicating this in other people's lives. It is in you. Would you guys bow your heads? If you're here tonight, I just want to pray for you. If you're here tonight and and if you were to respond and say yes to this, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything like that tonight. I just want you for yourself. But if you're here tonight and you would say, I'm one of the ones who's felt disoriented or stuck or like I don't know what to do in my walk with Jesus. If that's you and if you're watching on live stream and that's you, that represents you. You felt stuck, disoriented, didn't know what to do next. I want to pray for you specifically. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I lift up my brothers and sisters who have lost their way, become disoriented, distracted, whatever it is, Father, that's caused them to feel like they're stuck or in a rut in their walk with you. God, I pray that we would all get back to the simplistic directions of Jesus, that we would live by faith in Jesus, that we'd make sure we participate in baptism, that we'd learn everything you taught us, we'd become disciples, followers again, that we would just do the simple thing of following you, And that, Father, we would step into serving both within our church and within the world amongst the lost. God, I pray that tonight that they would find hope in knowing that you give us something to pursue, not just something to flee. God, fill them with your life. Fill them with your joy, your peace. That's what you have in store for them, Father. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you'd like to get baptized, if you've never been baptized, don't forget to come talk to Brother Dave down here at the front. We'll get you signed up for that. Church, we love you so much. I can't wait to, uh, actually, I, I won't see you on Sunday, but I can't wait for you all to be back here on Sunday morning to praise Jesus and hear the word. It's going to be good. God bless all of you. Thank you for being here tonight.